Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you are in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about student free speech, and it's going to be as a follow-up to our earlier conversation in episode 13 about the Supreme Court's decision in June regarding off-campus misconduct by a cheerleader on social media. Uh, Some of our listeners will remember the discussion about the Mahanoy case and the individual cheerleader who was using Snapchat and the U.S. Supreme Court decision to indicate that her free speech rights had been violated under the First Amendment. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but if you have an interest in that uh, uh, more robust, comprehensive discussion of of that particular case, I would refer you back to episode 13 of this podcast. But uh, today, we're going to talk about the subsequent cases that we've had, although it's been a limited period of time since the decision in June. There have been a few court cases involving student free speech that really apply the Mahanoy standard. And so, and one of those cases was a case that we handled here in our firm. And my partner, Drew Marriott, took the lead on that particular case. So I asked Drew to join us today to have a discussion about student free speech in the wake of the cheerleader case. Welcome, Drew. Thanks, Dwayne. Good morning. Well, I think probably a good place to start on this topic, Drew, would be just to kind of get, in summary fashion, uh, just a little bit of an explanation of the U.S. Supreme Court cheerleader case, what was involved in that case, and really what were the takeaways. Yeah, Uh, well, that that case, and, and I know folks have heard a little bit about it, you know, as we've discussed, it was it was the first time that the Supreme Court had come down since Tinker, so in over 50 years, and found found in favor of student speech issue, and really focused on the court ruling that the First Amendment prohibited a school district from removing a student from a cheer team for her Snapchat posts, uh, which were profanity-laced, had the F word in it, and basically directing criticism at the school district, uh, specifically at her cheerleading team, among other things, um, and directing criticism at at softball and and the school, and but they were purely speech. They, there wasn't a, a photograph of her uh, doing something illegal or inciting others to do things illegal. And so, when the Supreme Court looked at this and applying the Tinker analysis, they looked at the you know what level of disruption was there in the school environment, and and it was very limited. And it wasn't something that had been you know it may have been ten minutes in two classes over two days. And, and the court in applying Tinker said, hey, if we've got this in loco parentis where we're watching students, you know, and, and we're creating these rules that are going to be basically observing students 24-7, you know, does that apply to speech that happens outside of school? And is that enough of a disruption to say we're purely going to punish off-campus speech? And what they came back and said is that there wasn't enough of a substantial disruption here and that, you know, basically making those disparaging comments that regulating off-campus speech is subject to a heightened level of scrutiny for disruption, which means that if we've got, you know, codes of conduct for within our schools, codes of conduct for athletics or activities, we're going to have a hard time enforcing those if those are purely speech issues 
And we're really going to have to focus on what is that heightened level of disruption within our school, documenting that, and that just prohibiting lewd or vulgar speech is likely not going to rise to that level. And so in doing that, they advise the lower courts and courts that will be interpreting issues that we have for districts to be skeptical of school discipline for off-campus speech when there's an allegation of disruption. Okay, and there's a lot to kind of unpack there, but I think probably the best way to do that is to talk about some of the subsequent litigation and uh, some of the things that uh, courts have been presented uh, in the wake of the Supreme Court case. And I know, obviously, you had one case that was pretty similar in some respects uh, and different in others. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the case that you had that uh, you had a decision on or a preliminary decision on, I should say, recently? Yeah. So we we handled a a case for a school district in Missouri that had a, a student, so seventh grade student at the time of the conduct, who filmed video uh, that resulted ended up on Snapchat, but it was video of her speaking and um, severely impaired from alcohol. So very drunk, discussing about drinking alcohol and and posted this video. And this conduct happened on a Sunday. The school had rules, rules and policies against use of alcohol uh, and drugs and and also student handbook requirements for activities and also student handbook policies on that as well. And this information ended up getting around to the school district. So what happened is the student had alcohol poisoning, had to go to the hospital, have a number of things done to clear the alcohol from her system. And the mom came back and posted on on the social media account, you know, basically targeting some of the students that had maybe encouraged her daughter to do these things. And going back and saying, yeah, my daughter was so drunk that she had to go to the hospital and, and there were concerns about whether she would live and, and all of those things. And so this ended up resulting in a 45-day suspension from, from middle school, so eighth grade. Uh, this rolled into, into the summer, but for eighth grade volleyball. And what ended up happening there is that 45-day suspension was just a suspension from competition. So student was still allowed to participate in practices and be a part of the team uh, because of the rules that the district had and the express consequences that were listed out for this type of this type of conduct and violation of the rules she was suspended for 45 days from competition what happened there next is that when that suspension occurred the family hired an attorney and that attorney filed a lawsuit against the school district and initially and quickly sought uh, a preliminary injunction to enjoin the district from enforcing that discipline. And so, and the analysis for that argument, and this is something that I I think when we talked about this earlier in the summer, you know, one of the concerns that we're going to see is that people are going to try to challenge, you know, discipline actions, right? So this was not discipline from you know, she was not suspended from school. This was from an activity. We've historically had those discussions that activities uh, are a privilege and not a right. And that's something that Mahanoy kind of turned on its head a little bit for us in our analysis as, as school lawyers, in the sense that we can't, we, we may be able to enforce rules and activities are still a privilege and not a right, but we can't retaliate. Uh, you know, we can't have a First Amendment violation as the basis for for us enforcing that even if it's if it's not the exclusion from education which is a right 
and you're talking about a privilege like participation in activities, it really doesn't matter if you are alleged to have been retaliated for their free speech. It doesn't have to be that you have some sort of deprivation of a property interest or anything like that, as we would have to have in a due process claim. But for free speech, it's simply, are you doing something to retaliate for the exercise of that free speech right is what you're getting. Exactly. That's a a much better um, summary of what I was trying to say. No, I'm with you. (laughs) It it can get a little confusing, I think, for our clients, though. Um, And the reason that's the reason I weighed in there is that because, and in particular now, because, uh, and you alluded to this, I think lawyers are going to try to shoehorn things into making them look as much like Mahanoy as they can, right? The cheerleader case as they can. And it sounds like that may have been a little bit of the case in the in the uh, particular case that you litigated, right? I mean, I think that is the entire basis for which this case was premised on. So had it not been for the, the court's interpretation of student off-campus speech in Mahanoy, I don't know that this would have been challenged. But what, you know, it received enough attention in the legal community and certainly among people that are paying attention to First Amendment issues that... You know, I think we're going to have more issues where if we enforce rules and something is incidental, you know, to conduct, but that that social media post is is documenting what occurred or what that conduct was, we're going to have more and more people try to uh, spin that as, well, you're, you're punishing the speech. And that was the entire basis for the argument uh, in, in the plaintiff's preliminary injunction in that case is that, you know, but for these social media posts, the district would not have known that this conduct occurred. And so you, this is, you know, they argued that this is exactly like Mahanoy and that you were punishing the speech. And what our argument was in response to that, and this was the argument that the court, the court agreed with and grasped onto when one denying the preliminary injunction and ultimately dismissing the case is that those Snapchats, they were incidental to the, the actual non-protected protected conduct. They were evidence of that non-protected conduct, right? So here we, we had clear evidence of minor in possession with multiple admissions after the fact. So minor in possession of alcohol. And they admitted it throughout the, their pleadings in the case. And so we weren't disciplining the Snapchats. We were disciplining the, the rule violations and the conduct that was, you know, the student's conduct in this case, which was consuming the alcohol. And, and the court agreed with that. And there's several cases within the Eighth Circuit and across the country that discuss the importance, the important role that school districts have in limiting alcohol and drug abuse and making sure that students are dissuaded from using alcohol and drugs while they're in school and, and period. And so, in relying on a number of those cases, courts have continued to reaffirm that, that school districts have a unique position in deterring that behavior, the use of alcohol. Some of those cases go in, into even more detail that student athletes are in a unique position that we absolutely want to dissuade them from using drugs or alcohol. One, from a health standpoint and a, uh, harming themselves or being in these, these activities where they may be under the influence or may be harmed in some way. But also from the standpoint is that they're influ- they can be more influential on other students and it can result in bigger problems within the district. And so the court, the court agreed with that analysis, said this is important, but Snapchats were purely evidence of the conduct. And that does not make it a free speech issue. 
it, it's a fact that she was a minor in possession of alcohol, violates the law, violates the rules, and that the district can absolutely enforce this 45-day suspension from volleyball competitions. So parsing that out a little bit, Drew, and looking at it, you know, you're being very careful to distinguish between the conduct that is being disciplined and the speech. Um, and in this instance, you're talking about Snapchats and, uh, and that sort of thing being used as evidence to show the underlying conduct, but not that you're disciplining the speech that is being used as evidence. And that gets a little bit wonky for some folks as they're looking at it. And I want to kind of get to the practical if we can a little bit for our principals out there and others who are looking at this issue. And, you know, what advice would you give them in trying to, you know, build their case, if you will, to show that what you're really disciplining is the conduct, not the speech? Yes. Well, part of that in this instance, and I, I think what I can do is go through and, and talk about what this district did and in, in preserving their case, and, and which is which was a really great job. One, they preserved the information that they received about the conduct. Some of that was the social media post because it documented the student was drinking. So documenting, you know, just like we've discussed historically, I mean, when we're documenting the issues, we want to make sure we have all of that information. Before this mom filed a lawsuit on behalf of her daughter, she had sent a number of emails uh, to the district and, and every one of the communications to the parents from the district about the discipline focused on the conduct. It wasn't focused on the social media posts. It wasn't focused on uh, comments that the mom made about other students. It was all focused on the fact that this student was clearly invisibly drunk in the video and admitted to using alcohol and that mom had admitted to the daughter using alcohol and documenting that. And then additionally, you know, there, there was some disruption at school. This was something that daughter knew had uh, been heard by others because she had posted these things. And so there was discussion among students at school that would have evidenced the disruption if we had had to argue that. In this instance, um, so they documented those discussions at school and those, those things that might rise to a level of disruption. In our instance, because, um, because we really weren't in the realm of, of arguing disruption, because our, our initial argument was this is not a speech issue, this is a conduct issue. We didn't have to get into that disruption argument, but you never know uh, when these issues are developing what route that's going to go. When you're planning as a principal uh, or an athletic director or a superintendent and you're working through these issues, we want to keep all of our options open. You know, Mahanoy, in that case, I mean, I will say that while the Supreme Court said we're going to scrutinize this off-campus conduct more, they also recognize that there's, there's special interest in addressing threats that are aimed at teachers or other students, that there's you know, issues where we want to protect students from, from bullying, you know, really those types of, the type of misconduct that is going to invade the rights of others. So not purely speech, but focus on others. Well, and it sounds like to me, Drew, you're saying uh, kind of a two-pronged strategy for our leaders as they're looking at these issues. One is, you know, what conduct is there there that would be a violation of our code of conduct that is separate from the speech and distinguishing it from the speech? But then what you just said is kind of a second prong, right? And that is there may be types of speech 
that aren't really entitled to that heightened protection. And those were ones that the Supreme Court identified in the Mahanoy case. And, and I think that, you know, in, in documenting those, those types of others that may, those types, that type of conduct that may impact others, you know, I think back to, and Dwayne, I know we've mentioned this before, but, you know, that, that Craigslist case that we had a few years ago, and that was something that, you know, it was a student that uh, had posted things on Craigslist, uh, you know, a kind of senior joke sale of the school, but had language in there that people in the community had interpreted as, as threats. And, you know, the one thing that I think in, in just kind of talking shop of, of lawyers, I mean, when we prepped that case to argue it for the court, we really focused on the disruption. And there was clearly a substantial material disruption of the educational environment. But when we took that to the judge, the judge was like, no, I see these as credible threats. And that was something that we hadn't even argued yet. In effect, there's kind of three prongs to it. <laughs> right. The one is it's, we're talking about conduct that we're disciplining, not speech. And then if it is speech, it's fighting words or it's, it's something else that's, that's not entitled to that heightened protection. And then third, even if it is protected speech and entitled to heightened protection, uh, at this point, it's caused a substantial or material disruption in the educational environment. And so that's kind of what our leaders need to be thinking about in setting this up. Agreed? Absolutely, Dwayne. So I, I think that that three-prong approach is really, you know, really important. And, and it gets back to the point of we are documenting and looking at all different angles that we can maybe maybe defend such a claim and support our decision for what we've done. Good, good. You know, you you've been talking a little bit about the case that you defended um, and were able to get dismissed this fall. Um, any other activity around the, the, the land in the wake of the, the Supreme Court cheerleader case? I mean, have we had other decisions out there besides ours? Yeah, so there have been two cases last I checked, and that was a couple of days ago, but two cases that have distinguished Mahanoy. So in, in United States federal district courts, so the, the trial court level, our case that we just discussed uh, was one of them. And then there's another case that related uh, to, to true threats or fighting words. And so there have been uh, a case out of the Western District of Pennsylvania that centered around Snapchat messages of, of a football player sent to a group of fellow players that had not only a number of obscenities, but talked about beating another student up, used a number of obscene language, telling that student to get a bottle and bash it on their face till I see your brain. And, uh, it, you know, there are references to not being, you know, stupid, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be stupid until you're dead and sincerely wish death upon your soul. And so these messages, you know, were, were very graphic, very obscene, but directed at another student and in that, in that case, they distinguished those messages from the messages that we saw in the Mahanoy area school district case. You know, those, those were not generalized vulgarities directed at a sport or at school. These were very specific threats that were directed at, at another student. You know, they were no doubt profane, but they, they posed a danger to other students. And so in that instance, the court said, this is different than Mahanoy. This is not just a pure speech issue. This is a true threat analysis, and that's the same true threat analysis we've gone through historically. And the district had documented all of that, and therefore, 
any consequences for those threats was supported and, and the district won in that case. Good. Uh, that's, that's great information, Drew. I guess in closing things out, I just want to offer you a chance to, to provide any takeaways that you think just, I know it's been a limited period of time since the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court decision this summer, but um, we have had a couple of developments here. And so you've kind of reiterated those, but in the wake of all of this, uh, what are your thoughts for our leaders out there? You know, I think that kind of what we predicted in some ways, you know, is, is coming true in the sense that I think we're going to be challenged on more of these because a lot of what we do is going to relate to documenting things through social media, right? So if we have discrimination or harassment, and somebody brings in social media posts that are outside of school but relate to conduct inside of school, there's going to be a risk that that a parent or a student challenges our, our consequences um, because we use that evidence. And that's that's what happened in, in the, the volleyball case. So I think we're going to see more of that. I mean, I I don't think that we we change necessarily what we're doing uh, in terms of you know good documentation, communication, all of those things, but you know, the point is, is that we have, um, we're expected to make a strong showing. So if we're focusing on a substantial material disruption to the education environment, you know, our tinker standard, we've got to show a strong showing that there's an actual disruption to the schoolhouse. And, and we need to document that and we need to take student statements. And if there are parents calling in about concerns, we need to make sure that the, the secretary or individual taking those calls are documenting those concerns. So we have all of that information to show that we have that actual disruption in place. All right, well, thank you, Drew, for your thoughts on student free speech claims and off-campus misconduct. We'll see where it goes from here, but uh, appreciate the update on where we're at today. And thank you listeners for taking the time to listen to Ed Council Insights. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can check us out on our website. Just Google Ed Council, that's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.